Second Corinthians. Um, you may be wondering, are we doing uh, Advent series this year? No, I, I will continue on, but there are some. Uh, there are definitely some Advent ideas that happen even in Second Corinthians. But then, as we get closer to Christmas Eve, of course, that'll be Christmas messages. Um, but we're going to continue on in our uh, message series on Second Corinthians. If you're a guest, we've been studying through Second Corinthians, and that's where we're still going to be. Um, I'm looking forward to it. By the way. Um, I did not get to hear the message because we were not able to record it. We Things are a little bit different back here. We were not able to record it last week. But I trust that Austin, that Austin, Austin, I guess we can Austin. Austin did a great job last week. Amen. So, um, best message you've ever preached. Probably. And I missed it. I didn't get to hear it. So, thank you, Austin. Um, Austin has, um, man, he has been there. Uh, to cover and fill the pulpit. Thank you so much, Austin. Um, so let's go to the text of Second Corinthians chapter ten. Second Corinthians chapter ten. We're going to be in verse seven through eighteen. Seven through eighteen, and and just to exercise your legs one last time. Once you stand in reverence, the reading of God's word, and we're going to preach a message today. And, and if you don't have the notes, I have an outline of the notes uh, right in front of you. The title is The Pastoral Voice of Authority in Your Life. The Pastoral Voice of Authority in Your Life. If you don't have notes, maybe look on. There might be like a couple extra papers. Uh, just a little outline of notes for note taking. But the title of the message is The Pastoral Voice of Authority in Your Life. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7. Paul says, the church of Corinth, You are looking at the things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish this to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong. This personal presence is weak and his words contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of area of influence which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure in other men's labors, but having the hope that as your faith grows to be enlarged even more by your by you within our area of influence. So as to proclaim the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the area of influence of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself that is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Can I just pray another prayer for this passage? Father, thank you for this passage, and we ask the Holy Spirit for your help during this time. If somebody is not a Christian, may today be their day of salvation. For the rest of us, let us worship before you. Let us enjoy you, reverence you, exalt you, and even and, and be convicted. We trust you. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Okay, so 
Carville Bible Church. It's been a place of solid ministry for a long time. That's what our church has been known for, right? A stable place, a stable reputation. We've had years of great pastoral ministry here. Um, many great things have happened. If you're a guest with us, our church has been known through the years at, in the community as a great Bible church, also a place where ministry gets launched from. There are house churches, there are pastors, there are missionaries. There are people that go into other seasons of ministry that launch out from our church. It's a common thing. You've Sometimes, especially in Calvary, you'll see people in Calvary, you'll see people here for a limited time. God transitions them out of here. It seems like this is a stopping ground in a lot of careers. But also you'll see some people, sometimes God calls them to a different season of ministry. It, that has kind of been what God has in his own hands. When I first came here, Jim Fleming, who had pastored here for 25 years, had told me that God uses Cargillville Bible Church. It seems that God has kept it in such a way that it doesn't have major schism, but it never has just reached kind of this epic numerical growth. It seems like God, can, not through any kind of schism, continues to be a place where people get strengthened and go out. Now, I don't know if that's still what God wants to do, but I will, I will tell you this. This church is known for having a great pastoral voice through the years. Great pastoral stability, right? Great. It's known for that. Jim Fleming, the first pastor, was here for 25 years. I've been here for 11 years now. This Sunday celebrates that 11 years when I first came here. Do you know the average time that someone who gets in ministry is three to five years? That just in ministry, three to five years, and then they quit, right? Um, apparently, this isn't, a, this isn't a, a vocation that you want to be in, right? This, I believe, I've now been in, in vocational pastoral ministry 26 years, right? So I've made it well past that point. Even being in a church, the average length of someone who stays in a church, once you are a vocational pastor of some sort in a church, is 3.6 years. 3.6 years, then usually a church loses its pastor. If you know anything about the landscape right now, if a church, especially of our size, loses its pastor, it typically takes at the, at the earliest a year, sometimes two to three years to even get a pastor now, right? It is not an easy process. Our church has been known for having years of stability. For 34 years, only two pastors. Even our current pastor elders that are I'm one of the elders, but I'm the actual, I'm the, one of the paid elders. We have three other elders. Um, Tom, right over here. Everybody say hi, Tom. Everybody know Tom? Hey, Tom. Tom has been here ever since the very beginning, 34 years as an elder in this church. 34 years. George is not here this morning. Um, the, the, the allergy level, if you know that George has some health issues that, that until things get cleaned up, like he, when he came here last week, it caused health issues the rest of the week. You know, he'll, he'll eventually be back in person here. But then David, um, David, I don't know how many years you've been an elder here now, David. I don't even remember now, right? It's been since I've been here, but not too, not, it's been not, not too long after I came here. What I'm telling you is this. Our church is known for being a place of consistent, strong, biblical, pastoral voice, a great pastoral authority. If there's a hallmark of our church, I had another church pastor ask me this past week, what would you say your church is known for? Because he was asking, what do you, you know of our church being known for in the community? I said, if you would say my church, Bible is on the sign out front. We're known for the Bible. This is the place that you would, it's just the automatic kind of thing. We have a good reputation in the city. There's no kind of, um, there's no kind of schism or splits that you hear about. When I first moved here, 
I was updated all the, of the, all the different church splits. That's not been the way that Collierville Bible Church has worked at this point. Lord willing, it never will be. Now, I say all that to say this. Collierville Bible Church has enjoyed a great pastoral voice for several years. And if there's one concern that I have as a pastor at Collierville Bible Church that I have, is I'm always concerned about what are the pastoral voices in the ears of my people, right? That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about what podcasts and books and YouTube videos and news commentaries are shepherding uh, my people, right? And it's not that I'm trying to think, oh, I, I have a superior voice or anything of that nature. But I do know that now in this point in life, we have more access to more voices than ever. And all these voices in some way are pastoring us, are shepherding us, are formulating our different views. And to be honest with you, most of these voices are encouraging self-exaltation, selfishness, a critical spirit towards just about anything. You cannot even watch the news now without automatically thinking that the world is automatically falling apart and there's not one good thing God is doing. I even I even get concerned about the voices of that hit my people, such as since things have happened with Israel a couple months ago over in Israel, you're going to see a, a plethora of new books hit the market about end-time prophecy. And I want to encourage you, be very cautious on what you decide to swallow and read during this time. Remember several years ago, there was a guy by the name of Jonathan Kahn who wrote a book series called The Harbinger Series. It's terrible. It's garbage, right? I get concerned about my people sometimes and the pastoral voices that are out there. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. Because when we come to our text today, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to talk about. The Corinthian church, Paul planted the Corinthian church, all right? He planted it. He had loved it. He had planted it, was there for a year and a half to disciple them. He had made a second visit that on their part they treated him terribly. He had written multiple letters. He had written a letter called the Sorrowful Letter that we don't have. Today we're continuing 2 Corinthians, which, which we have two of the four letters that he had written to them. Two of them we don't have. One is that Sorrowful Letter. The Apostle Paul had put so much, his pastoral voice, and when we come to our text today, what had happened is the Corinthians were believing a different voice. They had what were called these false apostles who had made much of themselves, and to make much of themselves, they had to tear down Paul's ministry. Now, Paul has to defend his authority to them, not because Paul's trying to prop himself up. He has to defend himself because he gives them the message of salvation by grace through faith alone. The false apostles among the Corinthians had given them a message of you're saved by works alone. Um, You're saved by works and you're saved by doing such things as treating us well. These false apostles had come in and and had these made up resumes and were just looking to fleece the people of money. Paul, when he did his ministry to the Corinthians, didn't take a dime from them. And what's really crazy is they use that. These false apostles use that as a way to discount his ministry to them, right? These false apostles said, if Paul really had pastoral authority in your life, and you, and you should listen to his voice if you would have had to pay him. How crazy is that? For a pastor not to take a paycheck and the church says, you must not be legit because you pay a, take a paycheck. That's why I'm saying, pay your pastor, right? So you'll think he's legit. <laughs> it was crazy what these false apostles were doing. Here's Paul's concern in our text. Whoever has authority in your life is the voice that you're going to listen to. For a lot of us, the authority in our life is something other than 
our local church pastors. It's something other than the body of Christ. It's, it's something other than the word of God. Now, listen, I, I listen to podcasts. I read books. I do all that kind of thing. And there's lots of guys I love. But everything that's out there, even when it's good, those people don't know me. They don't know my church. They don't know the context of where I'm living, right? Even in pastoral ministry, I've, I noticed this in my early days of pastoral ministry. When I first started pastoral ministry, I tried to be like the people I was listening to. And I thought ministry should be just like the people I was listening to and the way their church worked. You know what I discovered? That doesn't work. Amen? It doesn't work that way. So in our text here, there's all this pastoral authority that Paul has to defend his pastoral authority against that of these false apostles. And whoever has authority in your life is the pastoral voice that you will listen to. Now, this is not a message for me saying only listen to Nick. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But I will give you an application. It used to be that a church body, churches, would require their pastors and their elders and their leaders and their people to study the scriptures and come to some conclusions because they've examined the word of God. We're now living in a day and age with all this great technology that before we study God's word for ourselves, we now can run to the internet and see what John MacArthur or John Piper or R.C. Sproul or, um, or Tim Keller. All these guys are great. They're awesome. I listen to them. Read them. Great. But sometimes we don't even search the word of God anymore because of our accessibility to so many, to so much material. And, and I just want to backtrack and say this. Whoever has authority in your life, whomever, that's the pastoral voice that will shepherd you. I'm even concerned to this day that there's so many podcasts and there's so many things that we're listening to, so many audiobooks that are great. You can listen to them as you get ready in the morning, as you're going to work. But sometimes some of the ideas are shepherding us with ideas that not that are not God's ideas. And just because the person says they're a Christian doesn't mean it's actually really good ideas. So the 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 the, the caution that I see in the text that we have to work around is this idea of the pastoral voice of authority in your life. Paul needs to counteract this. If you recall where we've been in this book so far, the Corinthians have repented for their rejection, how they've treated Paul. That happened in chapter 7. He moved to chapter 8 and 9. Since they repented, it was a great time to take an offering, right? The church repents. Why not take an offering? They took a missionary offering. Now Paul gets to chapter 10 through 12. And there's always a remnant of people that haven't repented. So there's some there's a small faction. So Paul has to come back in in chapter 10, 11, and 12 and defend his apostleship, his authority, so that they would hear his voice. Because his voice was pointing them to Jesus. The false apostles' voice, guess who their voice was pointing towards? Themselves. So pick back up in the text, and I will show this to you if you've got your notes. If you've got your notes, I've got an outline, and... We'll point a couple things out to you. Verse 7. He says in verse 7, You are looking at things as they are, what does it say? Outwardly, externally. You're judging with man's perspective. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. I want you to notice a 1A and a 1B. Notice 1A says this. The false apostles, pastoral voice of authority, came from external observations. These false apostles were promoting among the Corinthians that their fabricated resumes, the size of their financial honorariums, their speaking abilities, and their impressive physical presence as justification for saying 
you need to listen to my voice. And the Corinthian people were saying, oh, everything looks pretty, so this must be of God. I was tell you this, by the way, I, I, there's one thing I can't stand. It is the Christian culture of consumerism, right? If people, if, listen, if you're ever counseling someone who's looking for a church, if you're looking for a church, don't go by, well, what kind of building do they have? What kind of ministries do they have? Look at the pastoral voices in that church, right? Is there some stability? Is it biblical? But that wasn't what the false apostles, they had promoted this idea that if Paul really was legitimate, he would have took some big money from you. Now look at 1B. The Apostle Paul's pastoral voice of authority came from Christ directly. Now I got saved in 1995. What color was the couch? Tan. Everybody knows it. Brown, tan, right? At 16 years old. The Apostle Paul got saved on the Damascus Road. He saw the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. Hey, we've all had some pretty great salvation experiences, haven't we? But I don't think anybody's taught taught Paul's, right? That's a pretty big one, right? You remember that? Well, Paul says his pastoral voice of authority came directly from Christ. He was an apostle of Christ. He saw the resurrected Christ. God met him on the Damascus Road. A, a salvation that, uh, in Christ that far supersedes all the external judgments that they thought actually gave representation, thought gave legitimacy. That's why you see in the text he says, if anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ." So also are we, right? Paul had met Christ. Paul was an apostle. Paul had the apostolic authority to say, I've seen the resurrected Christ. I, there's legitimacy to my ministry because of Christ. Whether the, but where the false apostles are saying there is a legitimacy to my ministry because of how pretty everything looks externally. Now here's their danger. If we decide that the voices we'll listen to are the voices that have the most money, the most prestige, the most Twitter shares. That does not mean that's a legitimate voice. What makes a voice legitimate is Jesus Christ, right? The glory of the gospel. Next, he says this in verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority. And by the way, he's not bragging really about his authority. He's bragging about the authority he has from the Lord. He's having to defend his ministry, not for his glory, but for their good. But he says in verse 8, for even if I some, boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. He's saying, I'm not going to back down from these false apostles. There will come, I am going to have to defend my ministry for your good. Because if my ministry gets torn down to you, then the gospel message gets torn down. And the expansion of the gospel and the kingdom of God is at danger. Look at 2a. The false apostles, pastoral voice of authority, came from tearing down Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, right? That was how they would legitimize it, right? In that verse, that's what he's pointing out. You know, some people prop up their ideas and ministries and lives by tearing down other ministries, right? Hey, by the way, just be careful to ever tear down and criticize another ministry. If that ministry is a ministry of heresy, by all means, call names out. And and it's, if it's not scriptural, call names out. And call down God's wrath on something like that. But be careful to just automatically be critical. And haven't you noticed in most of our news cycles, that's kind of how we work, right? The way to bring legitimacy to your life is by bringing criticism to someone else. I've even noticed this in pastoral ministry. Even pastors, God bless our hearts, right? Sometimes to bring legitimacy to our own soul, we've got to find some way to pick apart someone else's ministry. That's how the false apostles 
were gaining pastoral voice with the Corinthians by always being negative, criticizing everything. By the way, let it be not be said about us that we are a people who are judgmental. Now, judge accurately and right, yes, but judgmental where we're always criticizing and tearing down to prop ourselves up, totally opposite. Now look at 2B, it says this, the Apostle Paul's pastoral voice of authority comes from how he built up the Corinthians in Christ. False apostles tear Paul's down to gain legitimacy for their voice. Paul says, actually, no, 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 look, look, my pastoral voice of authority comes from I have built you up in Christ. Look in verse 8, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for tearing you down. Now, just so you know, tearing down doesn't mean that you don't give correction. Man, I wish I would have read his sorrowful letter. I, there's, there's a bucket list. Could some archaeologist uncover the, this sorrowful letter that brought this hard, stiff-necked Corinthian church to repentance? I love to read what it says, right? But Paul was all about building them up, which doesn't mean he didn't bring correction. When he corrected the Corinthians, it wasn't to tear them down. Sometimes you have to bring correction. A good church and good people... And good shepherding in your life, there will be correction. Oh, if you have a spouse that brings loving correction to you, thank God, ask for forgiveness and restore that relationship, right? This is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Now look at verse 9 through 11. This is 3A and 3B. He says in verse 9 through 11, by the way, just so you know, back up in 2B, he, how he built up the Corinthians. I just want to recall to your mind. He was the one that planted the Corinthian church. He was, he was the one that visited them um, for a second time that went bad, didn't give up on them, wrote that sorrowful letter. He is going to, he was actually going to revisit them. He's writing this letter. This is a guy who spent nothing but building them up, caring for them like a parent does a child. Now, verse 11, 9 through 11. He says in verse 9 through 11, For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. That letter had been a terrifying letter. But what's interesting is he says in verse 10, For they say, this is the word on the street about Paul, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his presence is weak and his words contemptible. Have you ever thought the Apostle Paul must have been some orator? More than likely, he wasn't, right? He's, so if you're kind of like, man, my preacher isn't that great of a, it didn't really speak that well. Well, neither did Paul, obviously, right? So, you're in good hands. I mean, not y'all, y'all know that I'm like silver-tongued, right? So, so it's interesting. Look at verse 11. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we all, we are also indeed when present. I want, to notice, I want you to point out a couple of things. Look at 3A. This is a, by the way, you notice the, the contrasting of the two, right, that you see in the text. 3A, the false apostles' pastoral voice of authority came from tearing down Paul's speech and presence. I mean, how did they discount Paul? They had to discount him by saying he doesn't look as awesome on the outside as we do or speak like we do. And, and the last time he was here, he acted so humble while while someone got up in his face about things that he and then look at the letter he wrote. Well, that sorrowful letter was so big and boisterous. How come he's not like that when he's around us? Oh, his his letters are weighty, but his presence is weak and contemptible. Remember, they liked the external. They thought he was a weak man because he was humble. I would like to propose to you that Paul in the past 
was humble in their presence, they took that as a sign of weakness. That was really a sign of meekness, right? Because they weren't at the point. They didn't have ears to hear. Paul goes back, writes this sorrowful letter. It strikes them and now they're ready to repent. And Paul isn't satisfied with just a majority of the church repenting. He's writing chapter 10 and 11 to bring that remnant to repentance. He reestablishes his authority in their life. Now look at 3a. The false apostles, pastoral voice of authority came from tearing down Paul's speech and presence. That's what you see from the text, right? Look at 3b. The the apostle Paul's pastoral voice of authority will be seen in person just as much as with his pen. Look what he says in the text, right? He says, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such a person we are also indeed when what? I was going to make a third visit to them. You'll see that as you close out reading this Second Corinthian book. And he basically lets them know. Do you think I was humble in such a way that that was weakness, that was power under control, that was being humble like Christ? But don't under, don't misunderstand me, that if you think my pen is strong, my presence in Christ is just as strong. He was an apostle of Christ. He had, the, he had an authority that none of us have, right? So he says that you'll see it when he comes, and it, those who are still stiff-necked to obedience to God, that you will see what his presence is like, right? So he's establishing his authority, not for his own good, but for their good, for the glory of God and their good. This is important. Now look at verse 12 through 14. He says in verse 12 through 14, For we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. That's what these false apostles were doing. But they, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, They are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of air of influence, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. You might have just read that and said, well, Nick, I was with you so far, but I do not know what you're talking about anymore. That was a confusing mess. Let me try to give you these two statements. That might solidify for you. Look at 4a. The false apostles pastoral voice of authority. Comes from comparing their accomplishments. To other false apostles. Uh, other false apostles accomplishments. How do pagans. Actually make build themselves up. Pagans may unite. For a purpose. But make no mistake about it. It's dog eat dog. When it's time right. I'll give you an example. The L, B, G, T, Q, and other alphabet letters that come after that, that whole group may come together and unite for a certain purpose, but make no mistake, that each of those groups will eat each other at certain times. That's what pagans do. That's what people do when they're trying to exalt their own agendas. These false apostles gained their pastoral voice and got more pastoral voice by just criticizing each other at some point. I mean... If you build your life on external things, what do you think is going to happen? How are you going to have to keep propping yourself up with external things? If you build your church with smokes, smoke and lasers and worldly things, you've got to keep that and bring legitimacy to that and criticize anybody that's not doing that if you're going to keep yourself going. This is how the false apostles. By the way, I'm not against smoke machines, right? Maybe we should get one in here. Man, be awesome, right? No, that wouldn't be. 
If we have a smoke machine, it's over, right? I'm just, it's just over. Nick has given up, right? If I start wearing like skinny jeans and like, you know, I have like a thumb ring and stuff like, I mean, like, just give up. I, I shouldn't have said that, man. Some of you might, might have your thumb rings, man. You just keep it, all right? So, 4B. Okay, pinky ring, right? Just like, get rid of me, right? So, 4B. The Apostle Paul's, by the way, if you're a guest with us, we're just real here. Sometimes I joke around with our people, right? So, 4B. The Apostle Paul's pastoral voice of authority comes from his ministry as far west as Corinth. The false apostles didn't plant churches. They built on the foundation that Paul did when he established this church, right? Paul had gone from Jerusalem at this point as far as the region of Achaia, as far as Corinth. And he was going to go farther. He was going to go to Rome, right? He was even going to go to Spain eventually. So Paul's pastoral voice of authority comes from, he keeps planting more churches, planting more churches. What do these false apostles do? They don't build things. You don't build things when it's all about your self-exaltation. You're just trying to protect your resources, right? So Paul says, actually, let me give some legitimacy to my authority. Look at the churches that have been planted. Look at what God has done all the way from Jerusalem, all throughout the Mediterranean, from Asia into the area of Macedonia. Go to verse 15 through 16. He says this, not boasting beyond our measure in other men's labors. That's what they were doing. By the way, do you understand now verse, I probably went too quick here. You see verse 12 through 14, do you see how the, the two different ideas in 4A and 4B, that's why he says we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the area of influence that God proportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. He's saying, God, let us reach as far as you at this point, right? This shows the authority and legitimacy only by the hand of God. Have you ever looked at Paul's missionary journeys? Have you ever studied Acts and looked at like the first missionary journey, the second one, and thought to yourself, how is he not dead? How is, how is he not burned out? Yeah, there's a reason. Because God had given him that grace to do that. This, this, as, especially as an apostle, this shows the legitimacy of his authority where the false apostles, they try to be in legitimacy by just criticizing each other. And the whole time, they're just building on what the apostle Paul did. He planted that church. The false apostles are building no, are planting no churches. Now look at verse 15. Not boasting beyond our measure in other men's labors. That's what the false apostles did. But having the hope that as your faith grows to be enlarged even more by you within our area of influence. Verse 16. So as to proclaim the gospel even to the regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the area of influence of another. If you look at 5a and 5b, here's two big thoughts that may help you for this text. The false apostles' pastoral voice of authority comes from taking credit for Paul's missionary work in Corinth. But 5b, the apostle Paul's pastoral voice of authority comes from God's plan to expand his missionary work further east past Corinth. That's why Paul says to proclaim the gospel even to the regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the area of influence of another. He's saying the false apostles, they just boast about themselves and what they have done to the ministry I've established. I'm not stopping at Corinth. God's going to take me to Rome. God's going to expand this gospel past this. Paul is saying this shows the legitimacy of the authority. Would you Corinthian church, you remnant who haven't repented, would you please realize you've got to mute their voice. It's important who has authority in our lives. And those voices are important. And they do have a profound impact on our life, right? By the way, 
I love that Paul is pointing to something. The false apostles only care about their church and care what they can get out of their church. The apostle Paul is going further than that. He cares about what the kingdom of God and what the church can do to expand its reach and bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen? That's what we got to care about. We can't care just about Carville Bible Church. We have to care about Carville Bible Church plus some, right? Plus what's going on. That's why we can celebrate when God calls people places. We can celebrate those kind of things. We can celebrate missions. We can celebrate the expansion of the kingdom. Look at verse 17 through 18. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself that is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Look at 6a. The false apostles' pastoral voice of authority comes from boasting in themselves. They just talk about themselves all day. By the way, when, when, when I first got on Twitter and started looking at Twitter, uh, actually, it's not called Twitter now. It's called X. Am I saying it right? X. Is that what Elon Musk changed it to? X? Or, you know. Okay. Well, anyways, when I first got on Twitter, I can remember resisting it. Do you all understand how much I just kind of hate that kind of stuff, right? It just gets at me. It has really good things, and it's very useful in some ministries, right? But it just isn't the, the, the way God has designed me. But I can remember saying, someone saying to me and saying, hey, there's so many good things. You need to get on there and start, and start liking people and friending. I was like, okay, let me do that, right? But then one day I decided to do a, a search of kind of, of pastors, right? And what I noticed is there would be a pastor that had 10,000 followers, right? And... And I noticed that like pastor gatherings, it was it seemed to be like everybody wanted to build their identity through how many people were following. Y'all have never done that, right? I mean, you've never posted something and thought no one cares because they're not, you know, responding to my post. Y'all are all above that. I get it, right? But I remember seeing several pastors that they'd have 10,000 following them, but they're following like 11,000, right? And I'm just like, oh, wait a minute. They're just trying to build a number so they can feel good about themselves, right? They just want to boast in themselves. That's the false apostles. But Paul says, 6b, the apostle Paul's pastoral voice authority comes from boasting in the Lord. If there is somebody that you're giving authority to in your life, a pastoral shepherding voice, whether it's online or wherever it's at, if their voice is really about themselves, turn it off. If their book is about themselves, turn it off. What do you want to turn on? You want to turn on the pastoral voices that boast in Jesus. As we end our message, it brings me back to Galatians 6.14. But may it never be, Paul says, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the pastoral voices that we want to turn on? Where the shepherding voices? Where do we want to give authority to voices that lift up the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus? Voices that say... You will die in your sins and spend eternity experiencing the wrath of God in a place called hell without Jesus as your Savior. Then when Jesus went to the cross, he suffered the judgment that your sins deserve. And by faith, through grace, you can trust that and get the free gift of eternal life. Today, you can ask Jesus for that. Those are the voices that should have authority in your life, not voices that try to encourage you to prop yourself up and make much of yourself for your own glory. Now, as we conclude our time, let us boast in the work of Christ. Let us boast in the gospel community he gives us. And then let us prepare our hearts now. As Erskine and Lenny come, we're going to sing a gospel song. We're going to take communion. 
And communion is a great time for us in our own souls to actually boast about the work of the cross. When you take communion, we're remembering the body and blood of Christ. And we're going to do this. Would you stand to your feet and we're going to pass out communion during this song. And can I encourage you to do this? If you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and King. Please do not leave this place. I guarantee you, about 95% of the people in this room, if you just tapped them on the shoulder and said, I don't know how to be saved, will you answer my question? 95% of the people in here, I'm confident, would know. I could probably say 99 could show you. Don't leave until you've got that settled. And I would say this, even now, you can pray and ask Christ as your Savior and Lord, place faith in Him and the finished work of the cross, and then you can take communion with us as it's coming around. Can I pray for us? I pray for you, pray for us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Father, would you bless our time now as we conclude our time with now remembering the good news of the gospel. Save somebody. Save somebody. Show them their sin and their need for a Savior. Show them their rebellion against the law of God. Show them their breaking of God's commandments. And then show them your perfect obedience to God's command. Show them that they can make a glorious exchange today. Their sin for the perfect righteous life of Christ on their account. Let them today be saved. Trust that you have suffered the wrath of God in, on the cross in their place and resurrected. You have now defeated sin, self, and Satan. Now we can live for God. So do that. There's undoubtedly people here who not come to that place. Thank you that for me it was 16 years old on the tan couch in my parents' living room. May it be someone else sitting at a table in a back room with a blue chair. Would that happen? Could you do that? Help the rest of us to take the Lord's Supper worthily. And God's people said, Amen. Let's sing together.